0: Matt, your letters. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Matt.
1: Uh, Consonant, please.
0: Thank you. Start with P. And consonant. T.
1: And a third. F. And another. C. Uh, Vowel, please. O. Consonant. T. Vowel. I. Consonant, please. G And another F Consonant T And a vowel, please O And a final consonant,
0: please A final F Time starts now Three apiece! Well, that is emphatic he also falls into Zach Hemming. Just gives him a little word of warning. Experienced Brian Green, exactly what you want.
2: Fraser Murray, a goal scorer up in Fraserborough on a free kick on the weekend. Young midfielder is next for killing. Oh dear!
1: Oh no! Oh that is slapstick. Larry, Larry. Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on our successful start to our League Cup campaign, Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you?
3: I'm really good actually. Uh, got off to, obviously, a good start in the League Cup and last night was brilliant. I was saying to Jamie just, uh, I know it was a 1-0 draw, of course we won on pens, but we just thought uh, it was a really good game to be at and I'm looking forward to discussing all things Thistle.
1: And Jamie McDonald's here as well. Jamie, you
0: will. Yeah, I'm good. I really enjoyed yesterday's game as well. It was a great watch, especially that second half. I thought we were good going forward. And Harry Milne, what a debut.
1: Absolutely. We will get on to talk about uh, the Kilmarnock game and Harry Milne in more detail a wee bit later. But we'll start at Stenhouse Muir. Um, the starting 11, I don't think it was too many surprises. Um, Harry Milne was obviously suspended. Sneddon got the northern goals. Tiffany was out, which I think we knew about. Jamie, what did you make of the starting eleven and the performance in the Sten Hismir victory?
0: I thought first half we were a little bit slow against Stenhismir. I don't think we created an awful lot, but second half I think we kind of took control of the game, mainly a bit of a lapse at the back for the rebound for their goal. But apart from that, I don't think we looked shaky defensively at all. And the starting lineup, I wasn't too surprised to see a few, you know, a few faces in there. It's good to see Akinola get some minutes, obviously. Towards the second half of the last campaign, he maybe didn't play as much, so I'm glad to see him get some time. Darren Brownley came off the bench, got to see like James Lyons come off the bench, a couple other youth players. So it's good to see some of these players get some game time and I'm glad to see Turner and Graham get a goal obviously. That's Graham's first competitive goal since the penalty up at Inverness, and that was like in February or something. So it's good for him to get that, his confidence good hope, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, Turner's made a flying start to the season. I know we're gonna talk about the killer game later, but he looked fantastic for he ran the show in his mirror and I did it again last night. To be honest, as well. Reese, what about you?
3: I I can't I can't really have any complaints about the eleven. The, the only sort of dubious one you could say was maybe Aaron Muirhead. Head. I thought Darren Brownlee may have started, but I think over the piece, Your um, Head's definitely showed his worth, and I think he could end up being our underrated signing this season. I mentioned last week his leadership qualities and even his experience, and that's really come to the fore in, in the last couple of games. And in terms of performance, I, I waited any. I thought it was your typical League Cup group stage game. It was pretty passive and we should have had more. It should have been more comfortable, sorry. And there was a couple of silly mistakes here and there. But that all get eradicated with match sharpness. But all in all, three points are the only thing that matters. And it was nice to see Brian Graham back amongst, amongst the goals on match day one of the new campaign, as Jamie's mentioned. So aye, it was a ni- nice to get the three points and obviously a good start to the League Cup group. Yeah,
1: I agree. I, I, we did comment when we were behind the goal um, that it was quite a, a slow performance. I, d- I didn't think we got a second gear, but then at full time when we were leaving the ground and you leave the away end and you come out of the shade and into the sun and you the heat hits you, you think, oh, well, that, that's why the game was so slow because it was so hot. Obviously, there were water breaks as well, but I thought we did enough without really getting into second gear. And I know Ian McCall mentioned um, in one of his interviews in the last week or two that Brian Graham had struggled the tail end of last season, I think he mentioned the COVID, but I thought he looked um, back to his best, he looked really sharp, especially on Saturday, um, and it was a deserved goal, and an important goal to get us all three points. And we're going to talk about the signings that we've made since since we last spoke, so we'll come to you on these first, Call McKinnon and Tony Weston have both arrived from Rangers on loan, and Aidan Fitzpatrick has also returned, which... I think we all predicted it was just a matter of agreeing compensation with Queen of the
3: South. Are you happy with those three deals? Yeah, I like all three of the new signings and I think they will bring something a bit different, to be honest. and um, I think it was glaringly obvious. We needed some pace and power down the right-hand side and bringing Fitzpatrick back into the fold has done that. I mean, we all know what he's capable of. He produced seven goals and four assists, I think it was, in his breakthrough season and championship back when he was uh, 17 years' age. So, that can only be a good thing, and bringing Fitzpatrick back, brings, brings a sense of nostalgia almost. I mean, he's only 21, so I, I hope for big things for him and, and he'll know himself that it's a big season for him. Tony Weston, of course, so there's doubts over his physicality, but 35 goals in the Lowland League, it's, it's no mean feat. And I think last season we went for Allegria purely down to his size and I think he managed five goals in the same division and that obviously didn't work out too well, so... It remains to be seen how Weston does for us, and maybe McCall might fancy sticking him out wide. We'll we'll need to wait and see on that one. Uh, As for Cole McKinnon, I I think there's a a sense of the unknown with him as well. I mean, he got uh, Rangers, Young Player of the Year, B Team Player of the Year, whatever you want to call it. He scored in the the old former, whatever they were calling it, in the lone league at Parkhead. And then, of course, he scored in his debut at Hearts, so... Hear some, I've heard some different different views as well from a couple of my mates that have played against him. They said that they were surprised that Fassil went for him. They didn't rate him too much, but we'll, we'll just need to wait and see him. I mean, Aston Villa, amongst the host of we have been trying to sign him in the past couple of years, and he just signed a three-year deal with Rangers, who, who see him every day. So they obviously rate him highly. He looks quite big physically, and he, he does have all the the sort of attributes to to go on and be a good player. So. We need to still wait and see on the two lone boys, but we know what Fitzpatrick is capable of and it's three good signings at the end of the day.
1: Jamie, I'm gonna ask you the same question, but I'm also gonna add on um, one from the listen one from my listener, Connor Steels asked, if we made no more signings, would you be happy? And then I'm gonna add on to that. If if you wouldn't be happy, where
0: do we need to strengthen? I don't think it would be a disaster if we weren't to make any more signings. We just need to have pretty good depth, but I think realistically maybe we could use maybe one or two more bodies especially with the five sub row now being a thing all season we should maybe just look to make use of that but uh, I think we've covered our squad pretty well and we've gone a lot of good quality signings but if McCall thinks there's one or two good quality players improvements that he can add to the squad then definitely I hope we go for them and he did say that they were we were close to was it another striker and another midfielder he was looking at I think I think we've had a really build well this summer it's one of the I feel we do say this quite often like every summer window has some of the best summer windows in ages but it does genuinely feel that way we keep improving every summer adding better and better players and I think we've added really well to the squad that Harry Mill and Jamie Mill and everybody I don't think we've made a bad signing yet and one or two unknowns like the Rangers don't really know exactly where they can bring it but I'm looking forward to seeing what everyone in the squad can do and yeah I think we've had a good window
3: Just what I would say before we move on like I remember at the end of last season we were kind of going through the guys that had been released and you're saying like I can see why they've been like oh I wouldn't have mind keeping them such and such when we're talking about the likes of Kieran McKenna and maybe even Teddy Gray, Gordon you look at these sort of guys but when you see the players that we've bought in we've we've freed up their wages to bring in players who are undoubtedly better in that position so it can only be a good thing when we're constantly upgrading in each area of the park so yeah as Jamie said it's, we're improving year upon year Yeah I think
1: we're going to come on and talk about the shape of the team a wee bit later I think the signings are interesting um, Cole McKinnon is probably the highest, the highest rated player that we've brought in I think Rangers fans um, see a pretty bright future for him. But he's looking at the midfield right now, and Kyle Turner's probably been our standout player in the first two games, and that's probably the position um, Cole McKinnon's targeting. So that that's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But if Kyle Turner keeps his form up and Cole McKinnon um, can't get into the side, then it, it's probably worth bringing him in for Kyle Turner's, uh, the, the sake of Kyle Turner's form. Um, in terms of Weston and Fitzpatrick as well, um. I think Cammie Smith struggled since he's been at the club. I don't think he's been outstanding in either of the League Cup games. So it'll be interesting to see if either Weston or Fitzpatrick stake a claim for a place on the right-hand side of um, our attack. We'll move on to the Kelly game. There was two changes to the starting 11. Um David Mitchell came in for a debut in goals and Harry Milne returned um, at the expense of and Ola, who dropped out with Kevin Holt moving into the middle. Reese, we happy with that starting eleven? And what did you think of the game last night? Aye,
3: it's one of the ones. Like, I don't think we can like have it many moans at the moment. It's the second game of pre-season. Whoever starts, is it's kind of a bit of rotation as well. I thought, I thought he would have went with Sneddon two games in a row, then gave Mitchell the last two. But if he's going to interchange them, then fair enough. It's the same anyway. But just for a, a bit of consistency, I thought he would have played Sneddon two in a row. In terms of the, the general performance, I thought it to start, in fact, I thought we were a wee bit slow. Obviously, Kelly got that goal after about 15 minutes I didn't think Mitchell covered himself in glory at that one, but it looked like he did have a lot of bodies in his way and he just he wasn't quite ready for it. But barring that, I don't think Kelly threatened, threatened us overly. Um, I know he had that chance through Daniel Armstrong at the back post, but apart from that, it was pretty even first half. Second half, I thought we were absolutely excellent Like going forward. And also I mentioned earlier on, it was like, were, like, the past season we've been like a one-man team with Scott Tiffany. And we played so well going forward without that one man. Um so that was a really pleasing aspect from last night. I thought Harry Milne was absolutely incredible. He was an absolute monster. It doesn't look like he's got any weak parts of his game. He looks good defensively, he's a strong runner, got some engine on him, he's fast, he can cross a ball in well. How many tackles did he put in last night? Headers at the back post going forward and defensively. It was just it was a joy to watch and it's one of the ones where He's, he's made his debut, and I'm already thinking enjoy this guy by weekend. can. That was that was an at level was the debut, but um, that was really good. And it as as already been mentioned, it's Kel Turner running the show yet again. Two games in the trot, back playing in his natural position, and he looks like a new signing in there. So it was a really good good night last night. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, like we should have won it in ninety, and it it does kind of feel like a win in ninety now because. It gave us a real positive mood around the support and stuff. How well we played, so that can only be a positive moving into the next couple of league cup games and of course the, the big season, the big league season, not at Dundee. Yeah, I think it definitely feels like a win just because the the group's
1: now in our hands. A couple of wins and we'll be through. And if, I think if we win our last two games, it's it's quite likely we'll be through as um, a seeded team in the last sixteen as well. I want to talk about the goalkeeping position actually because I know Michael said he was going to give uh, two games. To each goalkeeper, to be honest, I'm not surprised Mitchell played the Kilmarnock game because I'd say out of the four games, a a game against Kilmarnock is probably going to be the most similar to a game we'll face week in, week out in the league. And we know what Jamie Sneddon can do, so I think you play David Mitchell in that game. I don't think you'd learn too much about David Mitchell from um, but at home and Montrose at home if those games pan out the way you'd expect. I agree with you, Reese. I don't think he covered himself in glory for the goal last night. But at the same time, I've said it in the past about Sneddon. It's really hard to come into a, a team if you've not been playing. Mitchell's not been playing regular football for a year, playing in a new defence. So I don't think you can write him off at all. Um, but on the goalkeeping position, I'd be very surprised if Sneddon wasn't the, the number one. I think Mitchell might play play the next game and then Sneddon will get the last cup game and then be the number one to
3: start the league season. Rhys, Jamie, you I agree. I think uh, at the moment, Sneddon's going to edge it. You can't really drop him out of the squad off the back of the season they just had, but uh, it's quite good to see a keeper who you kind of feel a level of confidence in, being your number two. Um, uh, If if Mitchell is to start, then I'll fully back McCall's decision. One thing that I I do kind of notice about Mitchell, I think that he's a lot better with the ball at his feet than Sneddon. Uh, I was watching him in the warm-up and he was zinging passes out to Kenny Arthur and Sneddon. They're just standing there. They're not moving. It's not in a game, but his range of passing, the technique he was striking the ball with, it looked really good. So, there's that aspect to the game. So, aye, it's, it's it's looking like it'll be Sten's jersey to start the season with, but
0: I'm confident in Mitchell too. Yeah, I just agree with what's been said, really. I think that Mitchell will probably start as number two. But, you know, anything can happen in a season. The keeper can get injured or drop a form or whatever, but obviously, we don't want that. We want Sten to keep up his good form from last season. Hopefully, build on it and improve. But, I think, you know, Mitchell's definitely no bad backup. He's I think he's a good keeper. Jamie, I'll stick with you. Another listener question, and Paul Murray's got in touch to
1: ask about the shape change. It does look like we've we've sort of shifted away from the four four one one slash four four two uh and moved to a four three three, which has allowed Turner to get back to his best in his natural position, as we said. Um, what do you make of the shape change? Do You think it's something we're gonna stick with for the season?
0: I quite like it. To be honest, I prefer Turner getting played through the middle on his natural position instead of kind of stuck on the right or whatever. And I think when Teff comes back in, this formation may work even better because we'll have someone who's really good at taking their man on. You know, we won't just be giving it probably Lawless maybe felt a bit the strain of getting, having to be more creative. But I think if we had Teff and Lawless or Teff and Fitzy or whatever. We have a lot of creative options that can make that kind of formation work with Kyle Turner playing and buying them. And, you know, to uh, McKinnon, if he gets game time as well, you know, I think we've got a lot of creative options to make that information work and I think we'll probably stick for for the rest of the cup games but you never know uh, McCall might want to shift it around once against Fraserburgh or Montreal so we'll have to wait and see but I think when the league starts we probably will stick with us and
1: Jamie I'll, I'll ask you this listener question as well because I think Reese has already answered it in a way and um, Ross Alexander's asked what player are you most excited about um for the rest of the season who's caught your
0: eye so far it's probably a throw up between Turner and Milne but I'm just going to say Milne because he's a new player and we saw Turner last season we know what he can do when he is on his game but it's going to be great to see him play for the middle but if that continues but I'm going to have to say Milne because he just looked so good last night so I can't wait to see him this season. Uh, Rhys this was something we spoke about last season
1: and I think it was you that suggested Kevin Holt be put on the penalties which did that eventually happen. Five out of five penalties were scored last night including one from Holt do you think he'll, he'll keep
3: the duties uh, at the start of the season? I mean it was five really good penalties last night. They're all they all pretty much unsavable. Um and at least three of them were very gallows celebrations towards Zach Hemming. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. Um if Muirhead's on the park, Muirhead takes the penalties. I mean his record speaks for it itself. That thirty two scored out of thirty five taken across his career. That's that's a ridiculous a ridiculous uh, record for anybody, never mind your centre half, but Kevin Holt will definitely be stating a claim to it as well. I, I noticed in the the uh, Allaw friendly it was, we got that penalty. Kevin Holt went up and grabbed the ball off Anton Douds and McCall screaming on the parties he's like, give it to Anton, give it to Anton. And that's obviously because it was Douds' first game. You want to get your strikers amongst the goals. But uh, apparently, Kevin Holt wasn't too happy about it. I know it's just a friendly and whatnot. He's probably having a laugh. But uh, Kevin Holt's confident, and so is Adam Muirhead. But if Muirhead's on the park, I don't think anyone's taking the ball off him.
1: I agree. Um, it's- I think penalties is one of the areas where you can really look to stats to make an informed decision. Muirhead's um, penalty conversion rate across his career, as you said, Reese is 92% and the average conversion rate for penalties is sort of 78, 79%. So he's a well above average penalty taker. Um, we, we saw ourselves at the tail end of last season scoring a couple past Ned and at Somerset Park. And one of the few, few he missed, unfortunately, was for us in the Challenge Cup final. But I agree, if Muirhead's on the park, he takes the penalties. We'll move on to our uh, preview and predictions for both the Fraserburgh and Montrose games. We'll, we'll have a quick catch-up actually on the, how the predictions are going so far. So both David and Reese have started started very well. They've both got four points after predicting wins at Stenhousemuir muir and correctly predicting 1-1 draws at Kilmarnock last night. Um, Jamie, two points for you. You've got a win at Stenhousemuir muir and a draw neither the correct score so two points for you I'm lagging behind on one point because I was bold enough to predict a victory at Kilmarnock last night a 1-0 victory so I've just got one point after the Stenhouse Muir game David not here with us has submitted his predictions he has suggested that we'll beat Fraserburgh 4-0 and beat Montrose 3-1 so Jamie I'll start with you what are your thoughts on the upcoming games and can we have
0: your predictions please? I think as long as we come out and have a professional performance against both sides, we should win. I don't think, realistically, I don't think we're going to flatten either of them, but I'm hoping that we win comfortably. So I'm going to say 2-0 win against Fraserborough and a 3-1 win against Montrose. Rhys, what about you?
3: The Fraserburgh one's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit guesswork, because I mean, we don't really watch Fraserborough, we don't really know what they're about, but... You can't really underestimate these teams. And I'm saying this, and I'm about to predict 4-0 Thistle, but you never know, you never know. I think, well, I think we should do it comfortably, we should win 4-0. Um, in terms of Montrose game, I, I think Montrose are a really good side and they've got got good players going forward. I noticed Blair Lyons uh, scored a hat-trick the other night against Fraser Brown, but he'll be up for the game. Um, I'm going to say 3-1. Like, I think that's matching David's exact predictions, but they, they sound good
1: but that's 3 three ones against Montrose we've got then. I'll just put in a pair of 2-0s. I think one of them has to be 2-0, so I'll hedge my bets and just put in a pair of 2-0s for, for those two games. Um, We saw a couple of the the younger players get a run-out in the game. from uh, this game. These two games could be another good chance to see them get a run-out. Is there anyone either of you particularly wants to see get maybe even a bit longer than the 10-15 minutes they got the other day? I wouldn't mind seeing a
3: maybe one or two of them younger boys starting. Uh, I really like the look of Ben Stanway in pre-season. I like the look of all of them, to be fair. Um, I feel the most unfortunate ones, Billy Owens. Obviously, he was the one that missed out in the squad last night. I think it was the first time we've had a full bench in, in donkey's years. But he's almost been converted into a right-back because all the young boys that we've got coming through are all happen to be centre midfielders. Um, but I probably would like to see Stanway maybe even get a start against like the likes of Fraserburgh. Um at the same time, I don't want to see Kel dropped in the form he's in, but you never know. And the boys under McKenzie, like congratulations to him making his debut at Stenny. He's looking like a real prospect as well. He's built like a he's built like a house at the side, at the age of sixteen. So uh, he should have a big career as well. And he likes to make the the forward runs. I think it's a, a ram deuter, they call it call it in Germany, like the Shea Gordon mode. So he could be one to look out for. But uh, you'll probably see a few of the younger boys in these upcoming games. Jamie, in terms of the squad
1: as a whole, how do you see the the starting eleven, the starting elevens shaping up in the next two games? Anyone you'd like to see get some minutes?
0: I think that the Fraserburgh game will be the more likely one to see a couple of youth players playing in. Maybe about like the younger younger lads, maybe get like a James Lyon starting or an Acapelli ones or someone else. Any but like see if a couple of players get some game time, which would be good. I think if we beat Fraserburgh. And we went to the Montrose game with a chance of going through seeded. I think we'll play a bit of a stronger lineup, just because it'd be good to get that. She and not able to you know, avoid playing at the old farm or something. It's has been always strong, so I think we'll go with a bit of a weaker one against Fraserburgh. And if we win that, I think we'll go for a stronger one against Montrose, and maybe something similar to what we saw line up last night.
1: Yeah, I think with the Montrose game being on the Saturday before the season starts, I think naturally you play your 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 full team, just to get them in a bit of a rhythm before the first league game of the season. Um, I wouldn't mind against Fraserburgh seeing maybe like an Akinola and Brownley centre defensive partnership just to get minutes in those guys' legs. I think Akinola was unlucky to get dropped um, against Kilmarnock. I don't think you could argue against the, the decision, because as we said, Muirhead's been very impressive in the two games. Kevin Holt looks like he's going to be a starting centre-back, and McMillan and Milne have really changed the game at full-back for us. but. Um, I think I can all that just for confidence as well as fitness, it'd be good to get him some minutes. And Darren Brownlee as well. It's good to have him back in the squad. Good to see him at Stenichmure. So if we get 90 minutes in those guys' legs and then a bit of rotation further up the park, as you guys have said, good to see some young players at Stenichmure. And I think the the next two games, if we go a couple of goals up, will be a good chance to get them on the Farhill pitch as well. The Farhill pitch, which is looking pretty good at the moment, it must be said. On Sunday, the 31st of July, the Jags Foundation are hosting a barbecue at the Bray House on Queen Margaret Drive to engage members in the fan ownership process. Earlier this week, David Forrest spoke to Bohemian's fan, Jerry Farrell, about their experience with fan ownership and what we can learn.
4: This as part of our new series um, called The Model, mainly so I can use the Craftwork song in the introduction. Um, we, we have a new series looking at fan ownership models at various other clubs, Ireland, Scotland, England, all over, looking to kind of find out what, first should be looking at what lessons we can take from other fan owned clubs. So for, uh, to start us off, we have um, Jerry Farrell, Bohemians fan. Jerry, how are
2: you? Are you okay? I'm good, David, and thanks for the invitation to, to come back on and Chat football. That's
4: all right. Yeah, Um, yeah. That. that, Um, I should, I should clarify that. Um, we have recorded something else, which is basically in stasis for about four months. So you, (laughs) you may, you may. Um, you're travelling back in time. Um, from the future. Um,
2: So this is my podcast debut, anyway. Yeah, yeah,
4: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, for uh, yeah, the the recordings don't work out well, but yeah, this is technically your debut. But um. Yeah, so we'll get onto. Well, Bohemians obviously are a fan-owned club, and they are a very good example of fan a fan-owned club in Ireland. I mean, um, they uh, they started out as fan-owned and have been fan-owned exclusively throughout their history. So you'd want to give a little bit of background on the history of fan ownership at, Bo- at Bohemians up until sort of recent times.
2: Yeah, Bohemians were founded in Dublin in 1890. Uh, so we're the oldest Dublin League club. Um, we're the oldest, one of the oldest sides in in the Republic of Ireland. Um, but yeah, founded in 1890 by a whole mix of people from mostly students, uh, lads who were studying to join the civil service, lads who were studying uh, or were uh, basically in, in a military training school, and lads who were uh, studying to be doctors, and then a few other just odds and sods, people who were interested in football. True. You know, which was kind of an emerging sport in Dublin in the 1880s, 1890s. It was not really the dominant sport. Rugby would have probably been more popular, and, and cricket even. Um, and obviously had the Gaelic games appearing then. But bowls, be kind of came uh, some of the standard bear- bearers for football in in Dublin and, and, and you know throughout Ireland, especially outside kind of Ulster, where the, the big Belfast clubs dominated. Honorary Secretary of Bohemians became one of the first honorary secretaries of the Lancer Football Association and then began setting up things like a cup and a league and all that sort of stuff. So they're very involved in spreading the gospel of football, as it were. Uh, But basically, the club has been members' own ever since. Uh, After about 11 years of moving to different grounds, and including playing uh, for about three years in in around what is now Crow Park, if people know the big Gaelic Games Stadium. And in 1901, Bohemians moved to their their present home, Dailyman Park. And the club developed that uh, over a number of years and became the kind of national stadium for the Irish soccer team for many years and you know cited a lot of cup finals as that, as well as obviously Bohemian home games and things like that. Uh, we're still in Daly Park. Uh, we might talk about it later, but it, it, it kind of ended up being sold back to Dublin City Council uh, about six, seven years ago uh, by a vote of the members. Um, and yeah, that's been our home since 1901. As I said, the club's membership has grown massively in the last few years so uh membership kind of grew to a few hundred or er- er early on in in the kind of uh 20th century and kind of stayed in around that level maybe fluctuating by 50 or 100 here and there bohemians i should say were a strictly amateur club kind of like the way queen's park would be up until recently uh they were a strictly amateur club till 1969 and there was a, a vote to change the kind of terms of, of the club back in 1969 uh and that was passed by the membership but Actually, just give to give an idea the vote was passed by I think 206 votes to 72 which is what you're talking about in terms of membership now crowds would have been bigger there was obviously a lot of people who were season ticket holders and things like that but the, the membership was always more expensive than that and the, the whole idea was built on this kind of uh, volunteer ideal that membership isn't just about getting uh, into games and going to watch a match every couple of weeks it was about kind of active participant ownership and being a custodian of the club for the next generation but it gives you an idea that like when that very significant vote was taken in 1969 to start paying players there were still only about 300 members in the club whereas nowadays uh, like I was at an AGM or an EGM rather uh, just before covid where we had to vote to increase the membership limit so we now have over 2000 members as well as many other more you know season ticket holders casual fans and it's becoming a challenge for us now because Daily Mount Park where we're playing uh, is due to be redeveloped uh, only half the ground is really in use and obviously there's a portion set aside for away fans so at the moment literally every game we have is sold out because our capacity is uh, just I think it's just a shade under 4,000 so we actually now are to an extent victims of our own success and that growth of membership and like, we might talk a bit later about why that's grown and things like that but that membership growth now is phenomenal it's it's at a record for the history of the club um, even going back to times when we were winning leagues and, and cups and things like that So it's great, but it also brings its own challenges. Uh, And also an awful lot of new members, people who are new to the club, who have maybe become interested in the club because of some of the activities that the club has been involved in over the last number of years, and also maybe some of the improvements on the pitch. Yeah, it's great, but it's also a challenge, like I say.
4: Yeah, it must be very difficult because I think one of the things that you find with fan ownership quite a bit is that, obviously, if you have a group of people You know you're not one homogenous person there isn't one bohemian bohemians fan that they all have the same opinions or anything like that so i think an influx of new members of people coming in from like different age ranges and you know different backgrounds and stuff like that it makes it all more difficult because you're going to have people who have different opinions from say the majority when it was a, a smaller Pool to take those, take supporters from, but Bohemians have went on to some considerable success in terms of getting into Europe. I mean, you played in the Aviva Stadium I get in front of I think it was seven thousand people. Is that right? In this season in the Europa Conference League,
2: it was just 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 over eight thousand. Yeah, in, in the Europa Conference League. And look, it would have been bigger crowds. That was COVID limited. Uh, obviously, like I mean, the stadium capacity is fifty odd thousand. We we played in the cup final there as well which and i think we bought about 18 19,000 fans there it was one of the bigger cup final attendances it was about 35,000 uh which we unfortunately 14 lost to St Patrick's Athletic back in uh November just gone uh and yeah and we got through a few rounds in Europe we were only knocked out by uh, Powick from uh, you know the the Greek top top flight team who uh and we beat them at home we only lost kind of 3-2 on aggregate uh in the second leg we, and we knocked out uh who were the from luxembourg we locked out a team called stjarnan from iceland prior to that so you know and played some good football as well some comfortable victories in those games and you know fantastic sort of stuff uh unfortunately i think a lot of fans complained that our kind of recent form peaked then and despite getting to the cup final we've been quite inconsistent since then and despite uh, I, I suppose our, our finances probably haven't been as healthy in a long time maybe you could argue underperforming in, in terms of of uh, where we should be in the league uh like as we we're talking david we've we lost our kind of dublin derby uh against uh, shamrock rovers there a few days ago which is still a bit still a bit raw with me but uh you know we're kind of mid-table at the moment uh whereas i think a lot of fans would have been hoping to be challenged for european spots again
4: Definitely, and it, you, the parallel with Shamrock Rovers is quite interesting because I was reading a bit into this. The so Shamrock Rovers, they are privately owned and they have a bit of money going in. How What has the club done? How is it? What is the sort of views on the club in competing with teams who maybe have a bit more investment like Shamrock Rovers who aren't members clubs? Is that a realistic goal? What what What's the sort of general consensus on it? Well, this is, I
2: suppose, the, the big dilemma at the moment about fan-owned clubs and members-owned clubs and how far you can grow. So say Shamrock McRover's, for example, uh, without going into too much um, kind of the tortured history there, but uh, Shamrock Rovers had been owned going back to the 1980s by a guy called Louis Kilcoyne, who was also, among other things, was John Jaws's brother-in-law, who's also the former head of the the Football Association of Ireland. But ultimately, in the the late 1980s, he sold uh, their stadium for development uh, as uh, kind of residential for residential development and the club for many years then were kind of nomadic and played at different grounds, including in Daily Mount uh, until eventually they got a new uh, stadium built in uh, South Dublin uh, around an area called Talla. Uh, It's a community uh, council stadium, but it's and it's it's, in fairness it's one of the better stadiums in the league. And since they've kind of moved back there, uh, improved and things like that, but they literally, they went bankrupt. They were relegated, all that sort of stuff happened and their, their fans kind of, what they call the 400 club so so again kind of gives you, you know, the 400 fans all kind of fundraise to kind of keep them going and, and and basically deal with the bankruptcy and all that sort of stuff uh and kind of help build the club back now that grouping still own about half the club and uh, the other half is owned split between a guy called uh, ray wilson who uh, i think he's mostly based in australia but he's you know, a very wealthy guy who was you know who's from ireland originally and was shamrock fan. and the other 25 percent is owned by dermot desmond who you know owns glasgow celtic amongst many other things and i think is either ireland's richest man or Ireland's second richest man so he's a you know a legit billionaire uh so i mean you are literally competing with the wealthiest man in ireland uh, uh who owns you know a chunk of that club and who's been able to help them invest in say their. um development of their training facilities in youth academy and all that sort of stuff you look at other clubs there like say Derry City again Derry went bankrupt and were actually had to the club was dissolved and had to be reformed back in like 2010 2011 and there was all sorts of stuff where they had been paying players on fake contracts and all this sort of stuff so Derry almost had to be refounded but Philip O'Darherty was very involved in kind of getting Derry back on its feet he sold his his company there for uh over a billion pounds and i think a lot of that money would be so he's, he's he's well set again he's a very wealthy individual he's able to uh bankroll them St patrick's athletic as well would be owned by a, a property developer called gareth, gareth kelleher who, who's been putting money into the club for years and years and years and then on the other side you would have members clubs so you would have like say sligo rovers uh draw cork who we mentioned a little bit who are still technically members owned although they may be being bought out by um a company belonged to the Hemmings family or the same people own Preston North end. And you know, if people follow like the championship, they might know that Preston have kind of got a lot of good young Irish players from around Cork, people like Sean Maguire, Alan Brown, people like that. So, you know, there's, there's a mix there as well. And so the challenge is that, you know, we've been doing well. Bose went from a situation where we were like six million, seven million in debt to a point now where we have good money in the bank. We've probably have our biggest wage bill this season that we've had in 10 or 12 years. As I said, we're sold out in nearly every game. We had a good run in Europe and all that sort of stuff. But the expectation now for a lot of those fans, and maybe from some of the new new fans and new members who don't remember where the club was maybe six, seven, eight years ago, is now that we should be challenging with Shamrock Rovers or Derry City or, you know, previously Dundalk, who kind of went through, again, very interesting ownership thing with American investors, a crowd called Peak Six, who have also investments in a lot of other clubs in denmark and in england and things like that uh but then there was some kind of crazy stuff going on there with the ownership they're now bought back out by a local consortium so you know people might think oh it's it's, you know it's only the league of ireland but you you do have billionaire owners and we have the kind of smaller member on club and i think we have to be realistic about what we can we can spend and look put it this way we sold our stadium to which is prime real estate in kind of center of north dublin Uh, very close to the city centre. We sold our stadium to the city council. The longer term plan is it's going to be redeveloped into a new modern stadium but we don't have other assets to sell so basically if we screw up again the club could could go bang and 132 years of history could disappear so that very, very, very nearly happened 10, 12 years ago. I really don't want that to happen again but it's also we've got a lot of of new fans who understandably want to see success. What you want is you're, you're not just is is your club about 11 guys on a pitch on a friday night or is it about more than that and this idea of like you want a high quality fan what does a high quality fan mean a high quality fan is someone who is you know when you've gone on a a streak of like only winning drawing once in the last three games or whatever it might be that they don't just disappear the high quality fan is the one who sticks with you through thick and thin who supports the club who you know that sort of thing so it's it's someone who has that sort of inbuilt loyalty and who is interested in in obviously in the the team that takes the pitch but is also interested more broadly in the club and things like that so look i'm I'm involved a lot with you know i write for the match program i'm kind of a club historian we do i do a bit of stuff on like the the history of the club i've volunteered a few other bits and pieces so uh you know i've seen an awful lot of that sort of stuff i've seen our our youth system our academy expand massively i've seen us develop uh are, you know bring in a, a women's team who are now playing in, in in the top division in ireland you know when you know three four years ago we didn't have a senior women's team uh which is great so we're expanding what it is to be the club which is you know more than just a team you start you're supporting your team you're you're a member of a club and what does that mean so their challenges and i suppose it's not everyone is going to have the same expectations some people just want you know a couple of beers on a friday night and watch a game of football and hopefully see your team win uh and that's all they want and that's fine but I don't know. I says I I would look for a little bit more than that.
4: Yeah, and it's a very interesting uh, point you make about sort of high quality fans. About I mean, like pe- people who turn up regardless of where. I think festival is is quite well suited for that because we generally, I mean, our our, our podcast is a called Drawlers or Draw because we we have a you know a reputation for not exactly being the most successful on the pitch, but we do still pull good crowds. I mean, we are, um, I, believe, I believe, certainly before COVID, and I would argue probably after COVID as well, we are um, home to away fans, have the best ratio of any club in Scotland where we take the most away fans compared to our home fans, if that makes sense. Obviously, like a place like Celtic and Rangers get forty fifty thousand 50000 a week, but they can't take forty fifty thousand 50000 to say Livingston, so obviously mm. it's going to be a much less ratio, but ourselves as a club we were consistently good away turnouts and we had people who, who turned up you know thick and thin and go all over the place and you know make noise online do podcasts write stuff all that and you know are very interested in sort of the history of the club and we, we are we, we are kind of a socially active um sort of group of uh, people and yeah it is you you will get other teams I mean a good example is at Falkirk at the moment um or even clyde who are um they 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 are uh, the tendencies have absolutely plummeted i mean Falkirk, the 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 joke used to be with Falkirk was that they always talked about how big a club they were because they took so many fans all the time and you look at the sort of the they're they're going to be their fourth season in, in the third tier and the sort of pictures of all the fans going like you can see over the last sort of three four years the fans ebbing away and stuff like that but i mean even at our worst we were still taking two thousand two and a half thousand when we were proper bad um and we were you know still turning up away and uh, to away games and stuff like that so it's an interesting point you make and it, it, it's very good that you know fissile are the sort of team that i think probably could say have high quality fans um and, and well do stuff um but obviously you mentioned about how it's it's not just about how the team do on the pitch and you know they're living guys who are wearing a shirt or whatever and you mentioned about other you know more altruistic things to do with the club so i mean obviously want to talk about one of the things with, with bohemians has been there's been some fantastic social initiatives that they've done over the last sort of we we'll say five ten years is even even more recent than that to be fair it's in the last couple of years so they've really stepped up we've kind of launched our own social Justice sort of organization recently of fans doing like hmm. donating to food banks and stuff like that. But just wanted to get a bit of uh, information about sort of the, the things that both fans are doing off the pitch in the name of the club that is sort of not really related to football. F-
2: football is a great because it's so popular, because it's a global game, because it, it reaches into corners of society where sometimes it's hard to get. It's a great tool to get people involved and interested in. And look, I think. Probably as an ancillary benefit, there's probably some people in certain sections or uh, different communities th- around Dublin that maybe wouldn't know about the club and maybe wouldn't be interested. Who might find their way to Daily Mount as a result of some of the um, kind of kind of social uh, campaigns the club would be involved in. But I think that's a nice ancillary benefit. But I think the other thing is that you know the, the club can use the status as a football team to maybe make bigger changes than you would realize because there is that power of football because people have this, uh, emotional attachment to the game and you can use that to, to, to do good really. And look, I, I've seen it happen with, uh, so it's the Bohemian foundation is our kind of the charitable side of the club. And they would, they would do an awful lot of stuff. It, I, I actually did a podcast on it with, with, um, the founder, of the foundation guy called Tommy Hines, who, you know, was working with people di- struggling with addiction issues and. Going back this is going back to like uh oh, you know 16 17 years ago when stephen kenny who was uh or maybe 14 15 years ago when stephen kenny who is now the current Irish manager was manager of the club and he was saying well can i get a few tickets Stephen, to bring lads who were kind of you know maybe uh, coming out of addiction and just to get them to do something that's you know a bit different and get them out of bad habits and you know stephen kenny in fairness are making sure there was a few tickets left for for tommy to bring Bring folks to games and that expanded and, and expanded and now yeah, the foundation works with people in mount Troy prison which is very close to the um to the stadium uh, people might know there's a a song popularized probably by brendan Bean called the L triangle uh, and you know luke kelly and the dubliners did a great version of it so the l triangle goes jingle jangle along the banks of the royal canal that's the the, the prison triangle you know ringing to call people to, to dinner but you know the canal, as you were saying with with Partick, the canal runs along the back of our stadium, and basically, set, you know, there's isn't much different distance between Damien Park and Mountjoy Prison. But now, you know, players members of the foundation go in and work with prisoners. There's there's a, a tournament that the uh, folks who are in the prison uh, play for called the Conway Cup, and there's kind of uh, you know kind of after uh, release involvement things like that. There's there's works uh, like I've done a little bit of it myself with uh, groups from what we call over here direct provision so basically someone who presents as an asylum seeker in ireland you're putting into the uh, what's called a direct provision center which is not always a particularly nice place often isn't and you know in, in a lot of cases they're old kind of like holiday camps and things like that you know it's usually somewhere quite distant quite remote it, it's it's not a very humane system in my opinion uh, to deal with people who are often fleeing you know horrific situations in, in the places that they come from the, the club started basically running a bus from direct provision center saying look you know 20 or 30 fans when to come to a game they'll get a ticket they'll you know we'll look after the cost of of getting the bus driver there and back and it's also you know it's just a fact that it's you know if you're in this center you know and you have very little option for so for socializing or getting in to meet people within the community in Ireland here uh, maybe you're just a new arrival. football is that international language you get to go to a game you get to meet new people you get to have you know a day out even so the, the club has been involved in a lot of those projects we have a climate justice officer now which we kind of got a bit of a slagging over but i've worked with with, with sean who's our climate justice officer on, on a lot of good projects and again it's you, know, you don't often think oh well why is a football club getting involved why, why shouldn't it you know if people who have an interest in football and maybe aren't fully aware of like the, the dangers posed by climate change is awaiting integrate people in, in, in into becoming more aware of that and becoming more involved with something like that then why not do it and yeah you know, like I said it goes back to this voluntary sort of thing this membership idea idea that like most of these roles are voluntary roles very few there's very few paid staff in the club and the paid staff in the club really they run the football side of things all these roles like the the, the stuff that Tommy does with the Bohemian Foundation that's all voluntary the 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 climate justice officer role that's a voluntary position because people who have those skills who have those talents they say i would like to be involved with something i can i think there's a way we can use the club and its profile and football for for good and to broaden it out into just friday night and a pint and a pie in a game of game of football which is great and you know i love a pint and a pie in a game of football but there's more to it than that and you know you can be involved in all sorts of things so they're just some of the initiatives like i mean i could pr- talk for a 100 other ones but uh the, the club has kind of as well as put its money where its mouth is it hasn't always been popular with every member but i think broadly speaking the, the like we elect the board uh we have an agm every year where we elect the board and we've consistently elected board members who have been proud to kind of pursue uh kind of the broader social aspect uh, uh, of the you know the so of the football clubs work uh, rather than just being primarily responsible for hiring the manager and setting a players budget and running the bars and all that other sort of stuff that comes to the day to day they have been uh, conscious that they could do more with the club and to be honest with you, I think partially that's why we have bigger crowds now than we did when we were winning league titles you know we we had we had you know a couple of million nearly budgets you know back in the early two thousands. Uh, late 2000s, when we were winning league titles and everything like that, and, and you know, became very close to knocking Red Bull Salzburg out of Europe. But we're, we have bigger crowds now in Diamond than we did then because I think people buy into what the club's is a bit more. And you know, it's not just about oh, here's uh, 11 footballers who are playing very well and winning games, and you know, that's great. And I want to associate myself with success.
4: No, definitely. Is like and you're right about that one of the keys with um, the fan ownership is that if you, it's, it's the, the majority of the members win, so to speak so like the board the board members are voted on by them the members and the person who wins is the majority is because they think that they are the ones suited for it they, they are aligned with their core values so that's why it's important for people to get involved and um yeah you know vote for people who represent your core values and what you want to see from the club Um and clearly if you're getting voted time in time out um it it shows you know that you're you're following what what people want and it works
2: yeah absolutely and look i make the point as well that like you know i'm a bit of a a club historian uh i do a lot of you know i do a lot of history pieces for like the the match program and the club website and my own stuff as well but i i don't think it's necessarily even a new thing because the more i research the club the more i realize that even the original kind of members and the early members and the early you know committee members and all that sort of stuff they were always very social and charitably minded especially once they developed deliman park into a decent stadium they're constantly fundraising giving it for free uses supporting different causes not in an overtly political way but i just think because they had that idea that this is the right thing to do that, that we're in a position to help out and we should do it and i think maybe we lost focus on that in 2000s and we were at a time when just for for listeners we were there was a, a point where our, our stadium was going to be bought but for massive amount of money by a property developer who's going to build us a new uh brand new stadium in a kind of brownfield site in out in the outskirts of dublin uh but of course then the celtic tiger went bang that deal kind of fell through there was all sorts of other stuff going on in the background about people arguing over that you know a portion of the stadium wasn't errors to sell etc cetera, etc cetera. but in a weird way we, yeah, we probably would have been the dominant team in the league. We would have had a brand new stadium. We had loads of money. But in a weird way, that was probably good. It didn't happen because we would have wasted that money chasing probably European group stages or something like that. We would have been a stadium that would have been far away from public transport, far away from our core fan base. And I think we would be a club struggling now, whereas I think we're, it was actually probably a blessing in disguise. We lost maybe our our, our, our focus in, on the wider values of the club, the core values, as you said, David. Uh, and I think we're just rediscovering what was already there, what was already a big part of the club. And uh, you know, I'm 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 glad that in a way that happened because even though it was very nerve wracking and there were times where I thought, you know, what'll happen if I we don't have our club, but we have to refound a Phoenix Club, all that sort of stuff, we got through it and the club is still there and probably in a strange way in better health than it's been in a long time. One
4: thing I wanted to mention obviously you talked about Daily Mount, about the sale of Daily Mount and we, when we were talking previously you had some inter some interesting parallels between Daily Mount and Farhill and that Daily Mount is in the banks of a canal. It's got three stands. There's the one end that has not got anything on it, much like the Bing that we have as well. Um and yeah, so and you obviously talked about the redevelopment with Daily Mount they there and it's sold the ground to the council who are now redeveloping it.
2: That, that that's right, David. yeah, I mean, like I the the, the the Grand Canal Oh, sorry, uh, uh, the Royal Canal, I should say. Sorry, Grand Canal. Um, the Royal Canal runs uh, along the back of Daily Met there. Uh, there's two sites that aren't in use. So there's some old terracing there. There's actually a bit of old Archibald Leach terracing and um, crash fires still in place. But unfortunately, they can't be used for anything other than maybe we, we put kind of uh, flag displays on them and things like that. Uh, You're right, the, there was a vote of the members, I think six or seven years ago now, to sell the stadium to Dublin City Council. And it was one of those rare things where like, there's i think there's over 60 councillors from all kind of different political persuasions on Dublin City Council and they all voted unanimously which is a rare thing to actually purchase a stadium out. uh and the the plan is now we're hoping for to get planning permission for the redevelopment of the ground later this year which will be a complete demolition job and rebuild uh and the stadium is actually going to be rotated like 90 degrees but it will still be on the same site the same footprint it's it's a bit tired it's a, it's showing its age but uh, I still love-
4: it is interesting. It must be a heart-wrenching decision to have to, to own the full ground and have to give give it away in order to survive. But at least you've been on the good end where you have a sort of reciprocal council who are using it for the betterment and actually have interest in developing it as opposed to, say, like for example, Clyde at Broadwood where it was just this white elephant of a, of a stadium that they couldn't fill and nobody could be bothered to redevelop it and it was just there and nothing and just a real tense and awful sort of protracted rivalry between the council and the club over like the ownership of the ground and yeah it's good it's good to see that it's kind of you know that it's good times ahead as opposed to being in sort of limbo of you know what's going to happen with that that land and whatever so no it's good it's good to know but um finally i just wanted to ask you your general observations on fan ownership and any sort of lessons that you feel that fessel could learn from Bose as a fan club
2: um I, I suppose it's a very difficult i suppose communication is a very difficult thing because you know there, even within our own fan base or within our own membership even there's an awful lot of people who don't aren't fully aware of everything that the club does or why they do it and you can have as many agms egms newsletters bulletins mail-outs you know, social media posts as you want. There's still people who won't, you know, engage or 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 you know they'll repeat all these kind of kind of canards about oh you can't do this or that. Or there was like a lot of people kind of moaning about us appointing a climate justice officer when we should be signing the centre half because you know somehow one would det- takes away from the other. When you know, as I said, it was a voluntary position for someone who had a a, a very uh, great great deal of knowledge in that area, put themselves forward for it and said look could could I work in the club in that capacity. Uh, But, yeah, it became a kind of a, a message board topic where people, every time, you know, we we, we didn't replace our centre forward with someone of similar quality. It was down to the fact that I've been a climate justice officer. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's how do you communicate those core values to people and how do you set kind of certain expectations? So it, it comes back to that sort of thing going, right, you're looking at, say, someone like Partick Thistle. I suppose, ultimately, your aim, I'm sure, is to get back to Sc- Scottish Premier League kind of be competing as high as possible um and you know growing your fan base and everything like that which is pro- you know same with bohemians we want to be competing for european places develop the stadium grow our membership grow our fan base as much as possible because being honest with you that's good for the club but it's also that's the only way we can compete economically because we can't compete with an owner with deep pockets and i know in, in scotland it's even more difficult because you have the dominance of say celtic and rangers and how can you compete with that so I suppose you're you're then trying to compete with that the next I suppose layer of teams for you know the 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 cup finals and the trying to get into Europe being the ultimate aspiration. So I suppose that's the thing. Like we, it's, it's how do you set realistic expectations and how you the fact that it, it isn't going to be a quick win that it that, that these things are a slow burn that eventually will kind of snowball into something because I remember that, you know we had the changes in the in in the board when we were really struggling. We had very gradual sort of things. The support trust was set up, which helped fundraise to basically clear off creditors and things like that and basically stop the club from being wound up by someone who we didn't pay, you know, money for a coach or for some electrical work they'd done or whatever it might be. Uh, and it was very, it was firefighting to begin with and people volunteering, people getting more involved, people reaching out to different communities and things like that. And that gradually grew and grew and grew to the point now where all of a sudden it's snowballed and we we've, we've have you know our biggest membership ever but that's the result of probably 10 years of hard graft uh and that isn't going to happen overnight you're not going to double or triple or quadruple your membership you're not going to uh you know become a league winning side overnight but we've got a point where we we had to basically cut our wage bill by 90 percent one season and we still managed to you know play some decent football bring through some good young players and avoid relegation we've still never been relegated from the top division we're, and we're now in a position where we have a budget where at least we're competitive. We got to a cup final last year. We we got to Europe uh, two years in a row. We're disappointed we didn't get to Europe three years in a row. So, but that's the result of a lot of graft, a lot of effort, a lot of volunteerism, a lot of creative thinking. And so that's, that's to say set expectations at a reasonable level and set a timeline and say, look, we're not gonna be, you know, beating Rangers five nil next week or something like that but you know maybe in a few years time you'll be you know ruffling some feathers and taking a few scalps and things like that, that that'd be my take on it anyway.
1: Partridge Thistle this week, I'm going to ask you if you had to incorporate partic Thistle into a film or TV script, so it can be an existing film, an existing TV show, or you might have an idea of your own, um, what movie or
0: television show would you use and write for? Um, Jamie, I'll start with you on that one. I don't know, like, I'd love to have had a documentary kind of style, well, I don't know, It's just opening myself up to get the piss taken out of us, but a documentary style thing, you know, doing the whole board merry-go-rounds of the takeover thing with all the Chin Lee stuff and you know, ended up being Colin Weir and stuff. I'd love to see seen how that all unraveled at like a kind of more senior board level and see what was actually like all the goings on and if there was anything you know we didn't hear about it wasn't announced on how serious that Chin Lee was actually in taking over the club etc because I do remember Gary Corwell coming out saying that one of the, his representatives came to the club and it was blatantly obvious that they didn't, weren't that fussed about buying it or something but obviously i have only got Gary Caldwell's word for that but that's what he said so I'll be quite interested to see something like that. a fly on the wall, a Netflix
1: all or nothing style documentary of I think the whole a leader but specifically
3: that I think would be very interesting. Reese, what about you? See I was just trying to think along the lines of the TV shows that I like and thinking how I would get into them but I I went for The Sopranos, I could see for how Taking place in the Sopranos, you know, like Tony, Tony Soprano, Paulie, Silvio, I can see them sitting in a north stand, running about near the front, just shouting abuse at Sneddon every week. I can see that easy, and that'd be better than the badabin. I could just see them having the business meetings in that in, in the north. End.
1: <laughs> I had two ideas, so I, I quite like sort of similar, but like I like line of duty. So I would have like Jerry Britton using his legal skills, setting up uh, a a team. Obviously, including Ian McCall, he'd be on the case to investigate all the corruption at the SPFL. I think that'd be a good one. And also, um, the Jaws movie franchise, uh, with every Jaws movie that came out, each one was worse than the last one. Um, so I would pitch Jaws 5, but there's a great white shark uh, up the canal. Um, so that they would be my two p- pitches. Anyway, we will leave it there. Uh, Jamie Reese, thank you very much for joining me. We'll be back next week to look back on hopefully the end of a successful League Cup campaign and to look ahead to our opening league game away at Dundee. In the meantime, stay safe. a season ticket. And a season ticket. <laughs>